This is season two of From the Pulpit, a series of podcasts based on the Sunday morning sermons at Liberty Church. My name's Pastor Matthew, and I'm thrilled, I'm ecstatic that you're here right now listening to this installment of From the Pulpit. Can we talk? Can we talk about this new preaching series that we started a few weeks ago called Relentless Reformation? It's an amazing series. And if you haven't, go check it out on our Rumble channel. There'll be a link in the description below. It's an incredible series about the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual gifts. And uh, the reason why we're we're starting off 2023 with a preaching series about the spiritual disciplines is because we want to practice the spiritual gifts. We want the spiritual gifts to be in operation in our church, but we want to be disciplined in our practice of these gifts so that we don't get out of hand, uh, so that we do everything decently and in order. And so we're talking about these spiritual disciplines to start. We want to be disciplined people. We want to be people who live by a higher standard. And because of that, Satan hates this series. I know it. Satan hates this relentless Reformation series. I know he hates it. Because he hates it when Christians are called to a higher standard. He hates it when pastors stand in pulpits and call themselves and the people up. He hates it because those pastors and those people immediately become a threat to him and his kingdom. If pastors don't call themselves and their congregation to a higher standard, then those pastors and those people are as good as Satan's. Do you hear what I said? If I, as the pastor of this congregation, don't call myself and the people to a higher standard of living, If I don't call myself and the people back to the standard of Scripture, and if I don't convince us to relentlessly reform our attitudes and actions to conform to that standard, then I'm not doing my job, and we're basically pawns in Satan's hand. We're as good as his. Now, if we name the name of Jesus... We are saved, we are sealed, and we are seated. But if we don't reach for a higher standard, if we don't look up and strive to be better, then we're basically useless to God. Because we show ourselves to be 
unavailable, and unwilling. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. Now, I'm one of these guys that believes that as much as it depends on God, once you're saved, you're always saved. I believe that you can't accidentally lose your salvation. I believe that it's really hard to lose it on purpose. But I just think it's a dangerous place to be when you name the name of Jesus, but you refuse to go higher. You refuse to strive for a higher standard of living. I think it's a dangerous place to be. I don't know what the consequences are and I'm not the judge. And I'm glad I'm not the judge, but I'm not the judge. Jesus is. But I know for me in my own life, I think it's a dangerous place for me to be when I'm comfortable where I am because comfort breeds complacency. So listen, Satan hates this series. He hates, he hates this series. And I know that we've touched a nerve. I know that we've touched a nerve uh, because of the reaction of the people. Uh, some of you have had very negative reactions to this series. And uh, that doesn't surprise me because whenever we're being called up to a higher standard, it, um, it offends us. And so I know we've touched a nerve in the congregation and we've put Satan on notice. I said at the beginning of the series that Satan and his demons were going to be on high alert because he hates it when Christians talk about and then practice the spiritual disciplines. He hates it because when Christians talk about and practice the spiritual disciplines, he has to work overtime. And Satan hates working overtime. While he's working overtime, I think he's doing one of three things. He's doing one or all of them. I'll, I'll mention them and then I'll go back and talk about them. First, he convinces people to prefer their comfort and or he convinces people to see only one function of grace and or he tempts people with pride. So let's talk about convincing people to prefer comfort. This is the easiest tactic for Satan when, when Christians are called to a higher standard, they are called out of their comfort. Comfortable Christians are no threat to the kingdom of darkness. They're no threat to Satan. Comfortable Christians are virtually useless to God because they're not available and willing to be used by God. They're comfortable. And they like their comfort. 
And so the first thing Satan is going to do, it's the easiest thing for him to do, it's his most effective tactic, is he convinces people to prefer their comfort. Every true follower of Jesus Christ, when they are confronted with the spiritual disciplines and when they are called to a higher standard, immediately want to practice the disciplines and go higher. That's what they want because they have new desires. They have a new heart and they have new desires and they want to go deeper. They want to go higher. They want to be useful. They want to be available. They want to be willing. They want to be used by God. And they know that the best way for that to happen is to leave their comfort behind and strive for something higher, for something more. And so Satan immediately shows up and says, you you don't need to do that. That's going to make you uncomfortable. That's going to offend people. People won't like you. Uh, People won't think of you like they used to think of you. Your family is going to disown you. Your friends won't have you over anymore. Do you really want to, to leave this comfort behind? You've worked so hard to get this comfortable. You're just going to forsake it all? It's an effective strategy. And I know this because it's worked on me for years. I know that Satan does this when he's working overtime because I've experienced it. He convinces people to prefer their comfort. He convinced me to prefer my comfort for years. I preferred being liked rather than Christ-like. I preferred to be well thought of than a person who holds to the high standard of Scripture. So this tactic of convincing people to prefer their comfort is the most effective strategy that Satan uses when he's working overtime to convince Christians not to pursue the higher standard that they're being called to. I would say it works 99% of the time. If that doesn't work, he's got a few more tricks up his sleeve. The second one is that he convinces people to see only one function of grace. Hmm. Think about it. He convinces people to see only one function of grace. The Bible says that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. First function, bringing salvation for all people. Second function, training us, training who? Those who've received salvation. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Grace has two functions, to bring salvation and to train the saved. And Satan, when he's working overtime to convince people not to pursue a higher standard, convinces them to see only one function of grace. And that's the first function. He convinces people to think, hey, I'm saved. I'm good. I'm under grace. Grace has appeared to bring salvation for all people. And and I took that salvation, so I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. Jesus did it all. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do what I want when I want, and I'm gonna get real comfortable while I wait to die or while I wait for Jesus to come back. They skip the second function of grace, which is to train believers to renounce. Like, renunciation is serious. And grace trains us to renounce, to say that we hate ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what grace teaches us to do. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, disciplined, upright, higher standard, and godly, God-reflecting lives. That's what grace does. And Satan wants us to only see the first function of grace. And I'll make no mistake about it, you can't have the second function of grace without the first. You can't live a life that renounces ungodliness and worldly passions. You can't live a life that is self-controlled and upright and godly without God's grace. You can't do it. It doesn't earn your salvation. It doesn't keep your salvation. It is what happens from salvation. It's the byproduct of salvation by grace through faith that we are trained to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live upright, self-controlled, God-reflecting lives right now. And if that doesn't work, Satan does one other thing, okay? If he can't convince us to prefer our comfort, if he can't convince us to see only one function of grace, then it's almost as though he lets us pursue the spiritual disciplines till we find a little bit of success at it. And then he shows up with the temptation of pride. Look at me. Look at my higher standard. Look how I live. Look how disciplined I am. Look how often I read the Bible, memorize the Bible, study the Bible. Look how often I pray. Look how often I fast. Look how often I find time for solitude and silence. Look how simple my life is. Look how generous I am. Look at the community I live in. And on and on and on. He tempts us with pride. 
He tempts us to compare and then to see ourselves as superior. Obviously, this is not the purpose of the spiritual disciplines to establish hierarchy. In the kingdom of God, we are all one and we are all equal under grace. Grace is the great equalizer because no matter what we were or what we did or how long we did it, once we come to the foot of, foot of the cross, we all need grace. And so grace is the great equalizer. But what happens is once we get in and grace starts performing its second function, and we start acting on it, Satan comes in and says, you're actually a lot better than that other person. You should let them know. You should tell them that they need to be more like you. And that if they're not like you, they're not as good as you. And God doesn't love them as much as he loves you. And God won't use them like he uses you. And once you get into that frame of mind, you're actually, you're actually worse off than if you had preferred your comfort or saw only the one function of grace. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, what we can't forget is that when we are called to a higher standard and we respond to that call by leaving our comfort behind and practicing the spiritual disciplines, we have to realize that our ability to do that does not come from us. It is enabled by God's divine power. Everything we do is enabled by God's divine power. Everything. Let me say it one more time so you really hear it. Everything we do is enabled by God's divine power. It has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness. You are not the source of your own life, and you are not the source of your own godliness. Jesus is. The power of God in you is and nothing else. And so there can be no source of pride. We cannot take pride in our level of discipline. I think we are allowed to enjoy our level of discipline and call others to it, but not for our glory, for God's glory. Because if we're talking about our level of discipline and our higher standard, and we're not talking about how all of it is enabled by God's divine power, then we are in pride. It's as simple as that. Jesus calls us from our comfort to his own glory and excellence. Not our own glory, not our own excellence but his. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The rest of the verse says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 
Jesus calls us. First or second Peter says he calls us to something. If he calls us to his own glory and excellence, that means he's calling us from something. What's he calling us from? Where is he calling us from? From where we are right now. Meaning, we've never arrived. When he called us who were once far off, sinners in need of a savior, when he called us then, he called us from something. And he continues to call us from something. And that is from where we are right now to where he is. And the Bible tells us that when we finally get to where he is, which is at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, when we finally get there, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Eventually, we're going to get there. But we're called on this side of eternity to get as close as we possibly can for God's glory. Don't you want to give God glory? Isn't Jesus worthy of the reward of his suffering? Isn't Jesus worthy of having millions and millions of people in the world at any one time reflecting his glory and resembling him? Isn't he worthy of it? After all he's done for us, isn't he worthy of that? Of course he is. There's higher heights and deeper depths of spiritual strength. We achieve these heights and depths through discipline, through growing in our knowledge of God. Remember, his divine power granted to us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. There are higher heights, deeper depths. We can be stronger than we are right now. And we achieve these heights and depths. Our strength grows when we grow in the knowledge of God. Ephesians 3.17 says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, that's the first function of grace. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Those of us who accept it now have Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And because he dwells in our heart through faith, Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 3.17, that you are rooted and grounded in love. Okay? We're rooted and grounded in the love of God because Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Verse 18 says that you may have strength to comprehend, to understand, to know with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, look, with all the fullness of God. He wants us to have strength. 
to know that which is unknowable. Does that mean it's an effort in futility? We're trying to know something we can't know? No. We can know more than we know now. And we'll know it fully when we get home. When we get out of this natural realm and step into the supernatural realm. Then we will know it. We can't know the fullness of it on this side of eternity. We wouldn't be able to comprehend it. But we can comprehend some of it. And we can comprehend more of it than we can comprehend right now. We can know more than we know right now. How do we do that? Through growing our strength. And strength grows through difficulty and discipline. Growing strength requires pain and process. At the beginning of the year, I started a strength building program with a friend of mine. We go to the gym five times a week and we are growing our strength by lifting more and more weight. Every week we go, we lift more weight than the week before. And it grows our strength. And it's amazing that after five weeks, we are so much stronger than we were when we started. But I promise you, it is not easy to leave your house at 7.30 in the evening in the winter when it's dark or snowy or windy or slushy. You just want to stay in and open a bag of chips and turn on the TV. But we have goals. We have things we want to achieve. We want to be stronger. And so in order to get stronger, you have to do difficult things. You have to discipline yourself. And when you do those things, when you do the difficult things, when you discipline yourself, your strength will grow. It just happens. And when our strength in Christ grows... We are better able to comprehend all that there is for us, the higher heights and the deeper depths. But strength grows through discipline. Our strength grows through spiritual discipline. I'll finish by saying this. Following Jesus isn't comfortable. Jesus said that his Yoke was easy and his burden is light, but I can promise you that his yoke is not comfortable. His burden is not comfortable. And it will cost you everything. Everything has to be on the table when you're following Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, though none go with me, Still, I will follow because I've decided to follow Jesus, even though it's uncomfortable. It's guaranteed uncomfortable. If you're following Jesus and you're comfortable, I'm not sure you're following Jesus. You better have assurance. If you're following Jesus, you can have assurance. You can know that you are saved. 
that you are uh, sealed, that you are seated, and that nothing can undo that. You better have assurance. Assurance that Christ is in you and you are in him and you are um, one spirit with him. But assurance is not a synonym for comfort. There's been a lot of Christians over the years, over the decades, over the millennia, who've had assurance of their salvation, who were very uncomfortable because they were followers of Jesus Christ. They were uncomfortable intentionally or unintentionally, but they were uncomfortable. Assurance and comfort are not synonyms. In fact, they are antonyms. <laughs> Following Jesus isn't comfortable. It's not easy. The yoke is easy. But following Jesus isn't easy. Meaning, what you have on you is easy. But the road you walk through this life isn't. It'll cost you everything. And so if you're going to respond to the call to a higher standard that you're hearing through this Relentless Reformation series, then I got I to gotta warn you. Prepare to get even more uncomfortable. Thanks for listening to this installment of From the Pulpit. If you liked it, uh, give it a five-star rating and review. And share it with a friend. Share it on your socials. So until next time, Titus 2.13.